Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, people, this is Dean Karnassus. I'm the author of the new Chicken Soup for the Soul book, Running for Good. And if you want to learn how to become a professional connector, you should be listening to Build Your Network, the podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to bring on my guest. His name is Dean Karnazis, and Dean is an ultra marathoner. So a little bit of an unconventional show today, but some of the things that we talk about are some of the most powerful concepts that we've ever gone into on the show because the type of mental toughness that you need to have in order to complete these races and be competitive in these races is absolutely insane. Just So just to give you an idea of who this guy is, Dean has some impressive competitive achievements. For example, he ran 50 marathons in all 50 U.S. states in 50 consecutive days. Let that sink in for a second, okay? And he finished it up with the NYC marathon, which he finished in three hours flat. And that was after 49 previous days of marathons. He also won the world's toughest foot race, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, running 135 miles nonstop across Death Valley during the middle of summertime. So these are just a couple of like the, the highlights, but there's so many other highlights. And uh, we talk about some amazing, just incredible things 
things. And plus, he's not just a successful runner, but he's also an author recently collaborating with Chicken Soup for the Soul on his new book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Running for Good. Oh, and Time Magazine named him as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. So we talk a lot on this episode about mental toughness, but we also talk about what his proudest moment in his running career has been to date. We talk about uh, the most difficult race that he's ever done. So believe it or not, the things that I just said weren't even on the list of the most difficult ones that he's done. So definitely going to want to hear the answer, just some of the crazy things that this guy has been able to achieve. And then uh, also we just spend a lot of time on the mindset that's required to push past your limits and trying to find what those limits are for yourself. So just so much gold in this episode, and I can't wait to share that with you all. But first, if you wonder how I've been able to build and maintain relationships with all the amazing people that I've had on the show, one huge way is through the power of podcasting. Without a doubt, it's my most strategic and effective networking tool. So if you are running a six or seven figure business and you want to add podcasting to your tool belt as a way to amplify your network and your message, then head over to travischapel.com slash coaching. That's Travis Chapel. Apple 2Ps, 2Ls.com slash coaching to apply for an upcoming opening in my program as I only accept a couple clients at a time. So I will talk to you there. I will catch you in my Facebook group. And now here is my chat with Dean Carnazes. Dean Carnazes, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thanks for having me run by. <laughs> yes, sir. Definitely. So there's some amazing things that we're going to get into on this episode. Uh, for those of you that are just tuning in, be sure to stay on for this entire interview because um, Dean has an incredible resume and has done some incredible things in his life. And I, uh, I think that you're going to really get some, this is, this is a little bit more unique of an interview for me, Dean, just, just as an FYI to you, but I think that it's going to be something that really benefits everybody that's out there listening. So definitely listen up to this. Dean, I want to go back, build some context here. And for those people out there who don't know who you are, let's kind of start at the beginning here and talk to me about like what it was like in a high school version of yourself, what you wanted to do out of high school, and then what you ended up doing. Yeah, well, my earliest childhood recollections are from running home from kindergarten, literally. So I started running when I was five years old. I ran all the way until I was a freshman in high school, as you said, and I ran competitively on the freshman cross-country team. We won the state championship, and then I quit running. At, at age 15, I thought, you know, running's boring. I'm a teenager. Let's enjoy your life. So I stopped running altogether. I went through college. I went through graduate school, and then I went through business school, and I got an MBA. And I had a comfortable, you know, very cush corporate job in San Francisco. And on the night of my 30th birthday, I was in a, in a bar in San Francisco doing whatever, you know, every guy does on their 30th birthday. I was drinking heavily with my buddies. And uh, at midnight, I told them I was leaving. And, you know, they said, where are you going? I said, well, instead of having another round of tequila to celebrate my 30th birthday, I'm going to run 30 miles right now to celebrate my 30th birthday. You know, they looked at me and I said, but you're not a runner, you know, you're, you're drunk. And I said, I, yeah, I am, but I'm still going to do it. So I literally walked out of the bar at midnight, three sheets to the wind and ran 30 miles straight through the night and decided during that run that I was going to become a runner. I was going to quit my corporate job and become a runner. When you look back on that story, do you look at yourself as like a crazy person? <laughs> like, like, why did I do that? Like, <laughs> Well, what was the reason? You know what I mean? Because you obviously throughout your childhood, you really loved running and then you stopped doing it maybe due to maybe, you know, social pressure uh, possibly, or maybe people saying that that's not something that you can do for a living or whatever. So you kind of give that up. You go into, into college, get your degree, get your MBA, get your job, do all the things like check all the boxes, right? Do all the things that you're supposed to do for a career. And then at 30, do you think it was just like a breaking point or was it just out of boredom? What was the motivation there? You know, I think you, you kind of nailed it. I think that I had done all those things that society subscribes to bring you happiness. 
you know, I had a good job. I had a good education. Everything was easy in my life, but I, it didn't bring me happiness. I thought the recipe was get a good job, get a good degree, get a fat paycheck and happiness follows. Well, I got the first three, but the fourth never followed. I was kind of miserable being, I was so comfortable. There was no struggle in my life. There was no hardship. There was no pain. Nothing was difficult. And I just remember running and running imposed difficulties. It made you overcome adversity. It made you deal with obstacles. And I missed that. I think I just missed that, that kind of primal urge to run it out. And it just manifested that night. I blame it all on bad tequila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people blame a lot of things on bad tequila. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not yeah. alone in that one. So the really big thing that I want to pull out of this is that a lot of times that we'll get stuck in this this milieu that tells us that what we're doing has to be what everybody says is the thing that we're supposed to do. And you were in that cycle. You were in that very much like we're like we're talking about, like get a good education, get a good job, get the fat paycheck, like do all of those things and then happiness will follow. And then a lot of times when happiness doesn't follow, we don't ever take the time to consider that maybe all the things that I'm doing aren't actually producing happiness, but keeping me from happiness. And uh, I think that I want to give you like a huge props to realizing, recognizing that at the age of 30, and then just saying, you know what, enough is enough. My happiness is more important to me than whatever the other factors were like impressing society or doing what culture says I should do. And I think that it brings a really good point out, which is only experience can change our deepest values. And I think up to that point in your life, you had the values that everybody else imposed on you. And then you were just trusting that everything was going to work out, you know, like you were just trusting that, you know, I'm going to be happy at the end of this. If I just do these things, if I check these boxes, I'm going to be happy at the end of it. And that's really what everybody wants out of life is to be happy and fulfilled, right? But then you got to that and your experience told you something different. Your experience told you that, man, I did everything that I was supposed to do and I'm still not happy. So obviously happiness does not come from the source that culture told me that it did. So now I got to go find it. And uh, for you, that was running. Do you have any tips for people out there that maybe are in the same position as you were in and running isn't the option for them? How can they go out and find the thing that it is for them that ultimately is going to allow them to be happy and fulfilled? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane so they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day which is why indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own 
preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Well, I, th- I think you're exactly right. I think that I think it was Thoreau that said most men live a life of quiet desperation. I think that a lot of people end up in a life they might not have anticipated and they just kind of live that life. And it might not be the life they really want. But again, they just live in a state of quiet desperation. And for me to become a runner, for me to follow my own course the way I did was actually, when I reflect on it, was, was pretty breakthrough because we're talking a couple of decades ago. I think it's, it's much more acceptable now, like, you know, with the gig economy and all and everything that you can kind of just do your own thing if you really want to. But when I did it, still, most people worked for the man. You know, you worked for a corporation and got the gold watch and, and that was it. And I, I said, I'm not going to do that. And to the listeners, the first thing I'll say, it was terrifying. <laughs> and I'm sure anyone contemplating, you know, doing their own thing is, is terrified because, you know, I had bills to pay. My wife was in dental school, so I was paying for dental school. We had a, um, my, my daughter on the way, so we had a child on the way. I was going to walk away from stock options. I was going to walk away from a 401k matching program. I was going to walk away from free health care, all of these things. I was going to abandon to become a runner. But I thought, if you don't follow your passion, you're going to regret it your whole life. You're going to get to be 50 and you're going to look back and say, maybe I could have made a go at it. And I much, I said, when I turned 50, I'd much rather look back and say, yeah, I tried and I failed, but I tried. And that was the attitude I had. The other thing I would say, is, as far as a practical lesson, I tell people, and I give a lot of talks you know, to like college kids. And you know, they say to me, where would I go with my career? Like nanotechnology is pretty hot. Obviously, AI is, is you know, an augmented reality. Those are great fields to be in. And I kind of look at them and say, well, <laughs> is that what you love? If you love river rafting, then become a river guide. Do what you love. Don't do something because you think that there's a bright future with, with that career path. Uh, look internally. And I say a good way to do that is just take out a blank sheet of paper, just sit in front of your laptop and just stream of conscious. Think what your life would be tomorrow morning when you woke up if you were doing exactly what you wanted to be doing. So describe everything in just a free form paragraph or two. What car would you be driving? Where would you live? What would you be doing? All of these things, type these things out. And then you have somewhat of a a roadmap of where you want to go. Because unless you know where you want to go, you'll never get there. And people are sometimes surprised. You know, they say, well, if I do that, you know, I want to sit on the beach in Tahiti and drink Mai Tais all day. And then when they really sit down and think about it, they, they think that wouldn't be very fulfilling to do that. Maybe I want to be a Peace Corps worker. I think that would bring me more internal gratification. So that's, that's one lesson, a practical lesson I tell people if they're really serious about uh, following their own path. Yeah, I love that because what you just said right there is so huge, Dean, because most people don't ever take the time to sit down and get clarity about what they actually want. And I think that's honestly like always a moving target almost like you have to get clarity on what your goals are and what you're trying to do at least once a month, but maybe even more like once a week, because if you're not adjusting course along the way, then you might end up reaching a goal that by the time you reached it, you realize that you don't even want to reach it anymore. And so many people go throughout their lives without doing what exactly what you just said and trying to figure out, you know, what, where do I want to be? What's the ultimate goal for me? And if what I'm doing right now doesn't allow me to have that destination, 
then I need to change up my course right now and do something different right now instead of waiting to do something different in the future when I'm frustrated and sick and tired of being sick and tired and stuff like that. And then I think you brought up another good point of advice for young people that are looking at their career in terms of like the opportunity for advancement instead of what do I actually really enjoy doing and how can I get the maximum enjoyment out of life? And uh, we've created a culture and environment where the we're supposed to do a certain path, we're supposed to do a certain thing. And what you were saying, the uh, Henry David Thoreau quote is that most people will never actually figure out what that is because they just go throughout life doing the thing that everybody says that they should be doing rather than the thing that they know that they want to be doing and need to be doing, but it's just not traditional. So because it's not traditional, because there's no way to pay a mortgage with that, then there's no way to actually do that in life. And I think it's just really is a comes down to our values, Dean. Like what do we value in life? Do we value everybody else's opinions? Because that'll get you nowhere. Do we value our time? Do we value having money or status? Do we value time with family? Like what are the main values that we have and how can we shape our lives to match those values? And how can we question those values every once in a while in a healthy enough way to make sure that we're still doing the thing that we should be doing, if that makes sense. It does entirely. And I think you hit on some really good points. One that point that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, you said people just get tired and they, you know, they just kind of follow the routine. They get up every morning and they shave, they go to the office, they come home, they're exhausted. Physical health really matters because to set your own course through life, you need energy. <laughs> you definitely need to be physically fit. I found that people that have their physical health are much more energetic and pursuing their goals. Otherwise, you know, if you're tired and lethargic all the time, you just kind of fall into a rut and just kind of scrape by every day. And a lot of people, unfortunately, I think live their lives like that. They, you know, they get in the car, it's a horrible commute. They grind it out at the office. They might even be doing well at the office and they come home, they're just exhausted. They want to have a beer and eat pizza on the couch and they fall asleep and get up the next day and do that. And I always tell people, you know, start by reclaiming your health. It might be counterintuitive. Like if I'm spending more time running or more time in the gym, you know, how is that advancing where I want to go? It's giving you more energy overall. And I think more physical energy is just going to help you get to where you want to go. For sure. And I think it builds the habit of improving yourself and doing things, making the difficult choices. Instead of coming home and drinking beer and eating pizza, you come home and drink water and have a salad. Like that's a decision that you used to make that was bad and bad for you, bad for your health, bad for your family, bad for your longevity. It's bad in a lot of different ways. And you change that habit from making the easy bad decision into making the more difficult but good decision. And that habit is a habit that will can take into any aspect of your life, regardless of what it is. And I think health is one of the most black and white ways to start building those kinds of habits. And since we're talking about this now, I, I want to get into the running that you do, Dean, because this, this is really, uh, like I was telling you before I hit the record button, I've been going through David Goggins' book recently, can't hurt me. And the dude just has an incredible story and uh, talks about all the things that he went through before he started running these ultras and doing all these, you know, long races and stuff. And up to that point, you're thinking like, man, how much more physical turmoil can this guy go through? And then he runs his first ultra and realizes that it's a completely different game, even from like SEAL training and the stuff that he had gone through already. So when, when uh, you and I booked this chat, I was really excited to talk to you about this because it's something that's been on, on the forefront of my mind recently. Can you talk about a little bit into what was your drive 
behind like going from running a marathon, 26, 27 miles, whatever the exact number is, and then going into running these ultra marathons where it's literally 100 mile plus races. What was the driving factor, the driving force behind that decision? Yeah, I think a company I work with called the North Face, they have a really great motto, never stop exploring. And I had this, I've always had this sense of exploration. And exploration for me is what is the limit of human endurance? Like how far can we push our bodies before we break? And so I ran a marathon, as you said, and then I heard about this thing called an ultra marathon. I I came across these two guys that were going to run a 50 mile race and I couldn't wrap my head around it. I thought, hold it, 50 miles. No, no human can run 50 miles nonstop. And they said, yeah, that's a plan. So I found out where this race was. I thought, I got to try this. I got to throw myself into it. I, you know, I signed up for the race. I somehow finished the first 50 mile race. And this is back in, uh, uh, 1992, you know, not to date myself, but it's a long time ago. And so at the finish of the 50 mile race, I see these guys I had met who told me about it and they're high-fiving in the finisher's tent saying, we qualified, we qualified. And I'm thinking, you know, you qualified for an insane asylum. I mean, what did you qualify for? I'm glad to be alive. And they said, no, we, uh, we qualified for the Western States 100 mile endurance run. And I said, wait, a hundred miles. Are you, are you serious? And the guy's like, yeah, you run 100 miles. It starts at a ski resort in Lake Tahoe. You run to the very top of the ski resort, and then you keep running for 95 miles on a wilderness trail through the mountains. You know, you run all night. You put on a headlamp. You eat while you run. You do everything. You have to cross. You have to forge a river, and you try to get to the finish line within 24 hours. And I was so fascinated with this idea of a human being running for 24 hours. You know, 100 covering 100 miles under their own power. And I thought, that's just fantastic. And I signed up and I, I actually finished the race. And it was just such an expansive experience because it, it went beyond, it transcended running. It was big and possible thing that I somehow pulled out, like I achieved it. And those lessons were so, they translated into everything that having to do with life, you know, with business with everything. Yeah, that's what exactly what I was about to say is like the crazy thing about those races is that yes, it is a lot of physical, but it's it changes the game from like a marathon where it's like okay, how much did you train? Let's are you physically prepared for this? To like those 100-mile races are a mental game. You can't train enough to be like ready for one of those to make it a breeze on race day. It's going to be a mental game the whole time. And that's what I find most fascinating about it. And so from there, this was like 92, 93 timeframe, you said? Yep. So from there, can you build out kind of a timeline? Because you've done since then some amazing feats. I mean, running 50 marathons in all 50 US states in 50 consecutive days, that's absolutely insane. And then winning the world's toughest foot race, the Badwater Ultra Marathon and 135 miles nonstop through Death Valley in the middle of summertime. And that, that's a race that David talks about in his book as well. So I, I, I know that that's something that's like really, really well known in that world. And, and you were actually winning that race. So build, build a little bit of a timeline here for some of these like major accomplishments and just walk us through what the thought process was. Yeah. So on that same theme of never stop exploring, I, I finished this hundred mile race and I thought, wow, that was amazing. Can you possibly go further than that? And I learned of this race called the Badwater Ultra Marathon, which, as you said, is a 135-mile foot race from the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere, which is Badwater, which is right in the middle of Death Valley, not far from Las Vegas, actually. And it finishes on the highest point in the contiguous U.S., which is Mount Whitney. So the idea is to run from the lowest point to the highest point, uh, nonstop, 135 miles, and they hold the race in July. <laughs> it's very, very hot in Death Valley. So... 
you're not only running this extreme distance, you're running in the most extreme elements on Earth. The highest recorded temperature ever on the planet Earth was in bad water. It was 134.6 degrees. And people say, wow, it was 100 degrees today and I, I tried to go jogging. It was impossible. Imagine running 135 miles in 130 degree temperatures. And that's the Badwater Ultra Marathon. That's absolutely insane. So before we move on from that, can you talk a little bit about prep going into something like that? Like prep work in terms of like how many months are you training? Is it a constant, like you always training? And then also what does it look like for the couple of weeks leading up to it in terms of like nutrition? And because I know obviously like it's about pushing your body to the limit, but also people die from that type of heat. So how do you like push your body to the limit while also preparing enough to make sure that like, okay, I'm not actually going to die? Yeah, no. And to your first point, as soon as you register and get accepted, when your entry is accepted to this race, there's not a living moment that goes by you're not thinking about it. And it might be, you know, the race might not be for eight or 10 months in the future. I will guarantee you every single day, what will be top of mind is, oh, I've got, I've got bad water coming up. Oh man, bad water's coming up. You think about it constantly. It's that commanding, it's that commanding of a of an endeavor to throw yourself into. The other thing I do is I run, again, I'm, I work with the North Face. I run in my big puffy North Face ski jackets in the middle of summer, in the middle of the day. <laughs> so I get some funny looks. I was running down the road with a huge puffy ski jacket on trying to emulate the heat. And then I also, I go into the gym and I do sets of uh, push-ups and sit-ups inside the sauna. And those are some of the ways I train specifically for that race. Got it. Got it. So talk to me a little bit about nutrition. How do you like stay hydrated? How do you, is this like 30 days out from the race? Okay. I got to start eating this to make sure my body has this, like how much prep work goes into the nutrition that you give your body before a race like that? It's every day. So it's not just for bad water. It's every day, every second of every day, I look at myself as an athlete. So I view Dean through the lens of being the best animal that I can be. So that has to do with 360 degree approach, a very holistic, everything from training to cross training to pre-race diet and nutrition to quality sleep and also to my interpersonal relationships. I think that if you don't have stable, harmonious interpersonal relationships, you can't perform at your best. And I think that that element is, I think, very overlooked by a lot of athletes. They have very disruptive relationships with friends and family. And I think that negatively impacts your performance. So I also look to optimize my interpersonal relationships. And all that has to do with networking and choosing the people you work with. So all of these things come into play for me when I'm looking at a race. And I try to balance and, and perfect all of them. That's so much stuff to keep track of too. Do you, do you have like a team that you work with? Or do you just like, is this something that you just are always conscious of? No, I have a, a really big team. So I have kind of a, a circle of really close confidants that I work with very closely and then a, kind of a broader team where I get advice from. And then I constantly am absorbing information about athletic performance. So reading up constantly, listening to podcasts, constantly looking at what others are doing and as well, constantly experimenting. There's a guy named Tim Ferriss who's kind of a, a life hacker and you know, if he's talking about it. I was probably doing it a year ago. So just constantly experimenting on myself to see, you know, is this going to help me? Is this going to hinder me? As long as it's something legal. 
I'm not going to put illicit drugs or anything in my body. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. And so many things here. Out of all the things that you've done, what would you look back at and say, this is like my proudest moment of all the things, like of all the different races that you've been a part of, of all the different awards and different medals or whatever that you've won and um, the accomplishments you've gone through. Is there one in particular that you look back on and just go, you know what, that one, maybe not even the proudest, but like that one meant the most to me? <laughs> the answer might surprise you. I, you know, I've run, like you said, I've run racing competed on all seven continents of Earth twice now. So I've run across the Gobi Desert, you know, I've run across Atacama, I've run a marathon to the South Pole, but my proudest accomplishment was actually a 10K. And it, you probably wouldn't hold it 10K, that's, that's a very short distance compared to, you know, these 100 mile races you're doing. But I ran a, a 10K with my daughter, Alexandria, on her 10th birthday. And that was far and away the best experience I've ever had. I mean, she came, to, I've never pushed running on my kids because I'm afraid of the, you know, the parental backlash. And she came to me and said, Dad, on my 10th birthday, I want to run a 10K with you. And I'll just never forget her saying that to me. And I'll never forget the race experience. We ran five miles together. Um, and a 10K is 6.2 miles. We ran five miles together. And by the end of five continuous miles, she was exhausted. Here's this little girl. And I was about to turn to her and say, you know, Alexandria, I'm so proud of you for trying. We'll do this again. You know, let's, we'll, just, we'll call this one a, a good test. And we'll do something again like this in the future. And right when I was going to tell her that, because I thought she was going to drop out, she looked at me and she said, Dad, I can do this. And she took off sprinting <laughs> like a wild beast. Um, I couldn't believe it. I've never, I'd never had seen that side of my daughter. But he was so determined. And running that 10K with her as a father is just my proudest moment. It'll always be my proudest moment. Yeah, that's amazing. That's why I just wanted to ask the question that way, because most of the time when I ask that question, it isn't the things that most people talk about. It isn't the huge accolades and stuff. It's always something like that. It's always something that just meant a lot to you. And me as, as, a, as a new dad, my son is now about three months old. And um, those are the things now that it's crazy once your perspective changes when now you have a little kid to think about in, in everything that you do. And what an amazing moment for you to be able to have instilled that in your daughter for her looking at all the things that you do. And so there's so many parents that get caught up in the trap of do as I say, not as I do. And I think that you know, a lot of credit goes to you. I mean, obviously, a ton of credit goes to your daughter. But I think a lot of credit goes to you in terms of like always showing her what to do by not giving up instead of just telling her to not give up. And uh, man, that's so, so huge. And I want to acknowledge you for that. Yeah, no, in school, they say you get the lesson, then you take the test. I'll tell you in parenting, you, you take the test, and then you get the lesson. <laughs> There's a lot of ways you can screw up your kids and not even know it until you know, you see it manifested. And, and to your point, I'd never seen that sort of drive in her before. And it just, it can't, it was manifested during that 10K. Yeah, that's amazing. What an awesome experience for you guys to have together as well. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your book. You have this book, Running for Good, and it is part of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which obviously for the listeners out there, you guys know Jack Canfield's been on the show before and who's the creator of that series. And they have a bunch of different spinoffs of Chicken Soup for the Soul for different industries and different types of businesses and careers and athletics and things like that. And so Dean was the one 
one that they was able to write this book running for good, which is a bunch of stories about runners, 101 stories for runners and walkers. And um, this is a really cool part of the story here, Dean, because I like that you didn't just stick in one thing, like you didn't just do races. You wanted to look for a way to build a little bit more impact, maybe a little bit more legacy. What was the driving factor after doing all these things in racing to come out with a book? And then also, how did you make the deal happen with uh, the guys over at Chicken Soup for the Soul? Yeah, that's a really good question. Amy Newmark actually has taken over the company from Jack, and she's just terrific. She's a powerhouse and someone I, I really admire. She's a great leader and just a great person. And this is our second collaboration on a running book. And she came to me and said, the first collaboration we did on a running book about five years ago was very successful. And she said, I want to do a follow-up to that. You know, what should be the theme? And to your point, you know, what I'm talking about running these ultra marathons back in the 90s. So you're probably thinking, hmm, this guy's not a young kid anymore. I mean, to be honest, I could qualify for AARP and I'm still a competitive athlete. I mean, how many athletes stretch their career into their 50s? And I thought there's got to be more to it than me just running these these insane distances and in, in extreme elements. I'll keep doing that, but how do you give back to others? And I thought, you know, running just brings so much good to people's lives, running and walking, because this book is not only about running, it's about people that walk. And the format of every chicken soup for this whole book, it's 101 independent contributions from 101 different people. So not all the people that contribute there, very few of them are ultra marathoners like me. Most of them are everyday athletes and they've run to, you know, overcome depression. There's a great story by a, um, a Navy SEAL, actually, who's running. He ran to overcome PTSD. It, it saved his life, he said. He's off his medication. He said, running saved my life. There's a story about a, a woman that literally could not walk to the end of her driveway to get the paper. She was that, that overweight and she got disgusted and she said, I'm going to start walking. And she walked a 5K. And she said, you know what? I'm going to walk a half marathon. She walked a half marathon and she lost 100, I think she lost 150 pounds. And now she wants to run a marathon. So I can tell someone what they need to do to get in shape. Anyway, you can pick up millions of training manuals. But what good is it unless you have that fire in your belly to actually go out there and do it? And that's what I find with the Chicken Soup series. It actually, it inspires people to do what they need to do kind of thing. So, you know, reading, I don't know, there's just something about reading a story of, of another human and what they went through and how they turned it around that empowers you. And that's why I love the whole series, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amazing, amazing story. And uh, I love that you're shedding light on all of these things too. And like I said, if you're a listener out there and you're looking for ways to stretch your mental capacity and you've never been athletic, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people who are in the marketing space, the online marketing world, geek out on marketing things, but then like the extent of their workout is really, really little because they've never been that person. They've been the, the person to go out and push themselves in the gym. But if you want a real way to build the habit of pushing yourself beyond what you think is capable of what you think you're capable of, then athletics is, I think, probably one of the fastest ways to do that because you'll figure out what you're made of really quick. <laughs> There's, you'll, you'll figure out really soon, like, first of all, that I'm not in shape, but also how much further can I push myself beyond what I think my body's capable of? And Dean, you could probably talk a little bit more intelligently into this, but recently I was reading somebody's work recently and there was a study that said that most of the time we quit when our body's around like 40% capacity or something like that. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. And the thing with me is that I've gone over the edge. I mean, until you, until you go over the edge, you don't know how far the edge is, right? 
So I, I've pushed myself to the point where I've actually blacked out on the pavement. So I know how far I can go. And I'll tell you, when I go to the gym and I see people in there, not to belittle anyone that's going to a gym, but I've got to say, some people are like, why are you in the gym? You're, you know, you're just, you know, looking at your Instagram feed, you're texting with people. When you're in the gym, be in the gym, you know, work out, <laughs> make your body work. So I, saw, I see a lot of people just kind of going through the motions and I, I just kind of want to shake them and say, hey, you're fooling yourself. And that's why I get back to running. I mean, running to me, is, it's the purest form of athletics because it's the simplest. You don't need anything. It's so approachable for anyone to start running or walking. You can just start today. All you need is a pair of shoes. And it's very quantifiable as well. You can say, wow, I, I tell people when they first start out to don't set a distance goal, set a time goal. And I say to people, try to run for one minute continuous when you first start out. And people say, oh, it's just a minute. A lot of people cannot run for one continuous minute and they, they sprint out too quickly and they get winded. And by 45 seconds, they're forced to walk. So I tell people, learn how to pace yourself, run continuous for a minute. And when you meet that goal, you've accomplished a goal and then say, okay, maybe three minutes. I'm going to try to run continuous for three minutes. And typically you'll fall short. You won't be able to make it, but you'll learn from the experience. Wow. I went out too quickly. I need to start out slower. And eventually you'll run for three minutes. And I say, try to run for five minutes. And again, you're breaking through barriers that existed for you. So you're learning how to go beyond the edge. And I think you prove to yourself that you're better than you think you are. And you can go further than you think you can. And again, as we discussed, these lessons translate from running into all elements of, of business and life. Yeah, so true. So true. Tell me about like a specific time that you can remember maybe in something besides running where you looked at something that was going to be difficult for you, whatever it was in business and maybe a family relationship, maybe these book deals, you looked at something that was that you looked at and you're like, man, this is going to be really difficult. And then in that moment, you reminded yourself of all the difficult things that you've done in running. And that like boosted your confidence to be able to tackle that difficult project. Do you have any stories like that? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it happens to me all the time. I People say, well, you learn so much from your failures. To learn from a failure, you actually have to fail, right? <laughs> Unless you have the courage to fail, you're not going to learn anything. And what I found is that micro failures are where you learn. I mean, the big, audacious, hairy goals that you fail at, those are very visible. And those are a little more difficult to quantify why exactly you failed. But if you sign up for a half marathon, you know, and you say, I want to run it in two hours, and you don't make it in two hours, you basically fail. It's a micro fail, but it's a fail. And just yesterday, I gave a keynote talk to a corporation in Ohio. And I flew in the day prior, and my flight was delayed, typical flight flights these days in the summer. So I got in, didn't get to sleep till about one in the morning, had to get up at 7 a.m. East Coast time. Actually, I had, to get, I had a talk at 7 a.m. So I had to get up at 6 a.m. East Coast time, which is 3 a.m. because I live on the West Coast and give a corporate keynote. And I wasn't on. I have to be honest. I got a standing ovation, which I think was very gracious of the audience because I wasn't there. I just did not perform my best. And I reflect back on it. And I think you screwed up. You should have taken this more seriously in every element. And that should have been, you should have booked a flight much earlier in the day. Because you, you were cutting it kind of tight, you missed your connection because of a delay, and it screwed everything up. So in the future, be much more conservative. I mean, just that one lesson, be much more conservative in booking your, your flight so that you're a little bit rested. So I learned that. And I also learned that when you're having a difficult moment, what's the best way to get through it? And the best way to get through it is to be in that moment, be in the here and now, in the present. 
I think what happens a lot of times when we're going through difficult situations is we think about the future, we reflect on the past, you know, we think about where are things are going. And I don't do that. I just think about the actual moment in time at that moment, whatever I'm doing, do that to the best of my ability and get that granular where it's almost, it's almost like a Zen-like state. And when you're running to me great distances and you hit that proverbial wall, you know, people say, how do you get through that? Do you chant a mantra? Do you turn on music? What do you do? None of those things work. You know, you chant a mantra and you, so, you soon realize I'm just chanting this mantra because I'm in so much pain. I'm trying to distract myself. You can't distract yourself. So instead, I just say, you know what? Just put your foot in front of your last foot to the best of your ability. Just take your next step to the best of your ability. Take your next step. Get that granular. Just focus on your next step. Don't think about the fact that you still have 50 miles left to cover. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't reflect on the past. Just take your next step to the best of your ability. And, and that'll get you through some really difficult, difficult times. No kidding, man. There's, and there's so many things that, that you and I could keep going into and keep talking about, but uh, we are coming close to running out of time here. So I want to get into the last segment, but I also need to ask you a couple of quick questions. First off, what's the most difficult race that you've ever done? Like the, the one where you look back and you're like, man, there are so many times that I almost fell flat on my face. Don't know how I kept doing, but I did. Yeah, you know, one time I ran a six-day race across Atacama, which is people uh, unfamiliar with Atacama. It's the driest place on earth. It's in South America up against the Andes. And it was a six-day race across this desert. And it was a race that was called a self-supported race. So you had to carry everything you needed in a pack. You had to carry all your own stuff. And six days of that was intense because when you're sleeping on a tent on the ground, so you're not getting good sleep, it's below freezing at night and it's over a hundred degrees during the day when you're running. And that race, I mean, six days of that with no, you know, no shower, nothing. You're eating basically moon food. You're eating freeze dried food the whole time. So your nutrition's thrown off. Everything is askew. You know, you can't, you, there's no way to share. There's just, you can't bathe yourself. There's everything is going wrong. You've got blisters you're dealing with. And six days is a long time to be going through that. And uh, that was probably the most challenging race I've ever had. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. So look, <laughs> there's so many things to take away from this, but the biggest thing is you're capable of more than you think you are. Just push the limits sometimes and figure out what that next level is for you and whatever it is that you're doing, whether it is running specifically, or maybe it's business, or maybe it's creating your content or wh whatever it is for you, whatever this means for you, think about it that way. And then think about it in the running way too, specifically running. If, if uh, you've never been that kind of a person, maybe get out and challenge yourself and see where you can push your body to. Dean, thanks so much for coming on the show today. There's one question that's a staple question that I have to ask everybody, and then we'll move on into the random round. So this question is my staple question. So when I ask every guest that comes on the show, who you know, or what you know, Dean, which one is more important? You know, as far as material success, I would say it's definitely who you know, as far as internal gratification, uh, I would say it's what you know. I'll, I'll preface that. I've never I've never told you I'm a hell of a networker, because I think I'm Greek. And there's an old saying, you know, there's the telephone, there's the telex, and there's the tele Greek. So it's not a well known fact. But the Greeks are very, very plugged in. It's a small community. There's only about 5 million Greek, Greek Americans. But the networking that goes on within that population is incredible. And there's a lot of very successful Greek entrepreneurs. 
so being Greek, I, I think I've just been raised in this community where you just, that's what you do. You network with other people. So I'm very proficient at it. And I actually love networking. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I think that it definitely shows in your career, your accomplishments and everything that you've been able to do. So Dean, let's go ahead and move on into the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions and some quick random answers. You ready? I'll try. I'll try my best. I'm not very quick. What is a profession that you would think is fun to attempt? Snake charming. If you could sit on a park bench with someone and talk to them for an hour, past or present, who would it be and why? Oh, it'd be Socrates for a second. He was the greatest thinker of all time. And again, I'm Greek and I've done a lot of reading on ancient Greek record and Plato doesn't actually describe Socrates' philosophy. It's a little bit biased. Plato's viewpoints come into, into the scene a bit. But if you read about Socrates and the things he said, it's just profound. And his knowledge and his logic and his wisdom is so relevant today, perhaps more relevant today than it was 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? All of the above. I've got over 500 audiobooks on my playlist, which is probably more than any of your other guests. I listen to probably three or four books a month as I'm running audiobooks. Yeah. What's an audiobook that you've gone through recently that you would recommend? I, you know, I just re-listened to In the Thin Air, which is John Krakauer and the kind of um, the tragedy up on Mount Everest. It just seemed relevant because there's so much going on on Mount Everest right now. And again, um, being affiliated with the North Face, you know, I hear it all the time from the climbers. And it's just a, it's a really good action story and it's really well written. So if you've never read or listened to uh, audiobook, I would say try In the Thin Air because the reader is actually very good and that makes a difference with the audiobook. Such a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. <laughs> well, one thing I'm allergic to routine, so <laughs> no two mornings are really alike. But uh, for instance, this morning, what did I do? I, like I said, I, I was just flew home from a corporate keynote. So I got in late to my house. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, in the morning, what did I do? I didn't set my alarm. I didn't have anything on my calendar until this interview, which is at 11 a.m. my time. So I purposely let my body wake on its own. And I got up around 7.30. I didn't allow an alarm to wake me up. I got up. I did a round of what's called HIT training, so high-intensity interval training, which is just with my body. And then I started working a bit on my, uh, my next book. I'm writing my fifth book right now. So I started working on a chapter of my book. And then I read a couple um, newsletters. And here we are. I did your interview. And then I'm going to go running after we're done. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, <laughs> Zorba the Greek. I still love that song. <laughs> it's just most endearing to me. Yeah, it brings me back so many memories of childhood. What is something that you are just not very good at? <laughs> Singing or dancing. Ah, yeah. I hear that. Oh one. my, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as we get everything wrapped up here, Dean, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? Uh, well, there's a thing called the internet. And um, <laughs> people always say, well, where do I find you? I mean, nowadays you can find anyone. Just type in any search engine. I don't want to say Google because that's, that's so cliche, but any search engine, just type in my name. And uh, I'm now uh, the first, I mean, if you type in Dean in Google, at least I'm the first one that pops up. Nice. Awesome. If that matters, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing, but. <laughs> Seems like it. <laughs> 
Cool. So if you want to learn more about Dean, just go over to your search engine and type in Dean Karnazes. That's K-A-R-N-A-Z-E-S and uh, go connect with him over there. Also pick up a copy of his most recent book and then look for the fifth book that he's working on. Anything that's written by a guy that has this much mental toughness is something that I'm definitely on board for. So Dean, I really appreciate your time coming onto the show today, my man, and uh, look forward to potentially meeting in person at some point here in the near future. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks for coming on. Really appreciate the chat. No, I appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed our conversation. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. And this podcast is one of the ways that I try to do that since all of the content from the show is totally free. So when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways that I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, if you haven't done that, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. And if you want some more free content from me, head over to three, that's three spelled out, three networkingsecrets.com to watch my free masterclass on the three best kept secrets to building the network of your dreams. I promise that you will not regret it. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.